Hey, this is Megan Rapino, and I'm Sue Bird. We've decided to turn our crazy IG live show into a podcast for your listening pleasure. Enjoy the show. A Touch More. New episodes of A Touch More drop Tuesday only on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. What up, everybody? This is Double G for the Fight Game Podcast, our Monday edition. Uh, For those who don't know, uh, we're going to be doing two episodes a week uh, into the near future. Uh, Our shows are just too long. We we were trying to fit everything in on our uh, Thursday night, Friday morning show and just so much stuff that that John and I and and the guests that we bring on to talk about. So we decided to split them into uh, a week, you know, right before your weekend starts and then right when you pick back up on Monday. So that's currently the plan. And uh, so this is our second uh, second week in a row that we've done this. So if you uh, if you enjoy it, let us know. If you don't, <laughs> let us know as well. Uh, you can uh, find us on at Fight Game Media on Twitter. Uh also, I don't usually give this email out, but uh, at Fight Game Pod, uh, sorry, Fight Game Pod at gmail.com is, is the email address if you do want to reach us uh, in email. Uh, so uh, you notice that I have not introduced John yet. John is not going to be here for the intro, but he will come back for our We Want Flair segment. I'm also going to bring on uh, Robert Silva as we talk about the 15th anniversary of Corrales Castillo. We're a little late on it, but uh, we we couldn't fit it into uh, last week's show, hence having to have you know two two shows a week now. But uh, but we it, the, it, it's it's good. It's a good segment, and you know Robert is such a wealth of knowledge, and uh, you'll learn uh, a lot about that fight. So um, the other thing is uh, we're going to have one more guest, and he's going to join me right after this intro. Uh, It is BJ Cruz from the uh, Two Jabronis with a Podcast. He and uh, Jeremy Lose do a show also on the Blue Wire Network. And if you remember the shows that we did right around WrestleMania, where we did um, the sort of the collaborative shows, BJ, myself, Jeremy, and uh, Ryan, uh, from uh, Top Rope Nation. So those guys are in my wrestling Blue Wire family and uh, finally get to have BJ on. I was a guest on their show several weeks back, so uh, glad to do glad to do the home and home here with him. And we're going to talk about the Undertaker documentary, The Last Ride, which is interesting because... Uh, just tonight, the tenth, the ninth, and tenth episode of the Last Dance, the ESPN's documentary on uh, Michael Jordan and the Bulls, just finished. So we're going to do a little bit of a compare and contrast to the Undertaker from the Undertaker doc and and the the Bulls doc. So uh, he he will he will join after uh, after I'm done with my intro. But a couple of things I wanted to get to before we uh, before we get going. So on the website. Uh, we just finished uh, First Favorite Wrestler Week on FightGameMedia.com, the recently 
revisioned, re-upped, uh, reimagined fightgamemedia.com. So there are tons of essays there on uh, all of our first favorite wrestlers. Uh, we are also going to have some uh, MMA MMA um, content from uh, Ryan Frederick this week. Uh, Robert Silva will write about his uh, third best featherweight of all time. And that should be up early in the week. And then he will have his uh, count. We're counting down the greatest fights of all time. And he will have uh, fights 40 through 36 up before the end of the week. And we're going to have some stuff on AEW's uh, pay-per-view. The Double or Nothing show will have some pieces on that. So it'll be an interesting week of stuff because AEW, it's their opportunity to run their pay-per-view. John and I will have more of a, of a preview of that show on our uh, Friday morning show. The uh, a couple things that happened this weekend that I wanted to touch on. And the first one is uh, an emotional MMA uh, fight this weekend. Alistair Overeem and Walt Harris. And I think, you know, mo- most folks will remember the story of Walt Harris and his stepdaughter who was kidnapped and, and then murdered. And, you know, he he was uh, he was very public in his search for her. And uh, when it turned out, when the bad news turned up, obviously, uh, you know, everybody was heartbroken. And, and to see him back in the octagon this weekend was a little bittersweet. And it's not because he lost. Um, This is going to be an issue from here on out until we get back into normalcy, which is this was a fight, if done in front of a live crowd, would have been just so special emotion-wise. And when you have fights every week, you can't expect emotions or, you know, a singular fights to be... Uh, feel big or feel special, this would have been one of them, especially when he put down Overeem and looked like he was possibly going to finish Overeem in the first round and then he just got tired and, and Overeem you know, took over and then won in the second and, and he, he just looked spent. And, and I'm sure some of that was being emotionally spent as well. And if that was in front of a crowd... That would have been such a great moment. And who knows, maybe even in front of a crowd, he can get the job done and can finish Overeem. But, you know, we are in an interesting period with uh, everything right now. So, you know, I was just uh, watching that. I couldn't, that that couldn't get out of my head, which is, man, I just wish I would have seen that fight in front of a crowd. So uh, the second thing I wanted to bring up before we get to BJ and then to Robert and then bringing myself and John back on to talk about our We Want Flair segment. Drew Gulak, uh, word came out early, uh, I guess it would have been Saturday, that after his SmackDown match on Friday with Daniel Bryan, that he was not going to be re-signed. And I think the early news came out that he was let go, but it looks like he was actually up for renewal. He and WWE couldn't get along, couldn't come to an agreement. I guess he was looking for a little bit more money. And, you know, I can see that from his perspective, you know, in these last several months, um, he has been more prominent on television with Daniel Bryan. He was at WrestleMania. And so I get it. You know, he is, he is more prominently displayed on TV. He is working in a pandemic when it is probably not all that safe to work. He's being a company guy and WWE supposedly has said no to any sort of pay increases, which is, 
I think people are giving them the benefit of the doubt. And, you know, almost uh, I'm trying to think of this and, and maybe the NFL is, is the sport where, you know, where fan, where their fans give the or the corporate NFL, the ownerships, the owners more the benefit of the doubt than anybody, because the NFL is very savage when it comes to cutting of players, especially those who are injured and cannot perform. Uh, just ask Todd Gurley and, and the Rams right now. Um, and, and so fans, I, I mean, I've been checking this and I think there are two, two sort of stances on this. A, uh, did Gulak deserve a raise? Um, and there are fans justifying WWE's decision on no, because, oh, you know, he's not a main eventer. Does he move numbers? No, well, guess what? Nobody does. So you cannot use that argument today because, um, you know, outside of, Roman Reigns and maybe Becky Lynch and, you know, I don't know if Brock Lesnar is really that big of a mover these days, but nobody does. Like, you're just getting what you get and you're getting, a, you know, generally a similar rating every week, no matter what, no matter what the match is, no matter what the angles are, it, the, the WWE is just spitting out, um, you know, content weekly and, and their loyal fan base of of whatever that number is every every week is is watching it. So to say that oh you know he doesn't deserve a raise because he doesn't move numbers like get out of here with that stuff nobody does. Um but the other thing that I've seen is that people are so quick to defend WWE and I don't know if it's this worshipping of ownership thing that we see in the NFL, you know, like worshipping the altar of Jerry Jones, you know, because he is you know, even though he, he, you know, he fired Jimmy Johnson and probably ruined a, a, a three-peat uh, by doing so. But, you know, I'm very thankful 49er fan, 1994 Super Bowl champions. But there's this weird thing with Vince McMahon and WWE fans, which is he gets so much of the benefit of the doubt when it comes to situations like this. And people are so quick to defend his reasoning for um, not re-signing guys to uh, favorable contracts because of the fact that we are in this pandemic, yet WWE in 2020 more than likely are going to have their highest revenue year in the history of the company. And we're talking like more than, you know, 99 uh, and 98 Attitude Era stuff and more than, you know, the biggest WrestleManias of all time. This is without a WrestleMania gate and without fans being able to pay for much merchandise and also for tickets. So, you know, I, I just don't, I don't know where fans have, like, went, I'm assuming, you know, maybe I'm the, the one on the outside looking in here. And, and fans have always been like this with WWE, you know, making excuses for, for that. You know, look, I'm not going to die on the vine of, of Drew Gulak as this person who deserved to get paid so much more. But, you know, for the reasons that I stated and the mere fact that, you know, usually what happens is you perform your contract and then you get a bump in pay. Like that's just generally how it works. That's how it works in, you know, a lot of companies. Um, so, you know, who knows what, what the what the negotiation was. Uh, maybe he was asking for a lot more. Maybe he was asking for double or triple what he got. But, um, you know, I, 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 I would imagine that is not the case. And I would imagine that he was not asking for anything other than what he thought was fair. And, you know, people are quick to say, well, this is business and I get it. 
And I'm saying, yes, I also get it, but you should root for the talent to get the money because WWE is banking more money um, and paying out less to talent than just about any entertainment company going. So next time, you know, you think of a wrestler who may uh, may have asked for, for some money and, and you thought, wow, you know, I, I don't gather that he's worth that. Well, everybody in WWE, if they were getting paid like the NBA or like the NFL or like Major League Baseball, they would probably be making around uh, four to five times as much money as they are currently. So that is that is WWE for you. Um, okay, so that is it for the intro here. And uh, we're going to bring in my buddy BJ Cruz, somebody who is not only uh, really good at podcasting, but he is also a producer extraordinaire. And I'm going to ask him a little bit about his producing because I have a, a story of kind of the first time that he and I crossed paths that I'm sure he'll remember that uh, I'll ask him about. All right, let's talk about our friends at Bet Online. There is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partner, Bet Online. NASCAR is back, and Bet Online has hundreds of other games, events, and sports to get in on. You can still bet on simulated NFL, NBA, and also UFC events 24 7. You can participate in a $10,000 Madden Bracket Challenge, a March Madness-style NFL simulation tournament you can enter for free. And coming up next Sunday, Bet Online has ex-Chicago Bulls, Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, and Craig Hodges to discuss the Michael Jordan Last Dance documentary on what they are calling After the Dance. I wonder if anyone's going to ask Horace Grant, if he was the source, uh, the source for Sam Smith's Jordan rules, uh, visit betonline.ag and use promo code BlueWire to receive your new welcome bonus and check out all the action. BetOnline, your online wagering solution. All right, as promised, BJ Cruz is here, and BJ and Jeremy Los from the two jabronis with a podcast i was on their show a few weeks ago uh got bj here for the home and home what is going on my friend dude hanging in there man last dance is, is over the last ride there's there's a lot happening a lot of lasts happening uh, <laughs> in the middle of this pandemic so <laughs> i'm, hang, I'm yeah, hanging in there the, the the uh the the last dance was um I think it, it it delivered it like everything it it promised and and I have a really high bar when it comes to anything Michael Jordan and it really delivered which is which is cool because you know now we can kind of compare it to WWE's version of the last dance with the last ride but before we do that cuz I do want to dive in and get your thoughts both being a gigantic basketball fan and also a gigantic wrestling fan yeah but before we do your show with Jeremy, um, it's gone through a, 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 a name change. But how <laughs> yes. how long have you guys been doing the show? We uh, we passed our one year anniversary during WrestleMania weekend, so we've we we we, we got over the one year hump. Uh, and I told Jeremy at the beginning, if we can get to one year, that probably means we'll we'll be doing it forever. <laughs> because it's, <laughs> That's it's awesome. I mean, I'm sure you know this. It's like lining up schedules. 
uh, with, with other people. It's, it's just very difficult. Um, and, you know, sometimes it can feel doing a podcast can sometimes feel like a, you know, like a chore. Um, sure. But we, we've we've never really encountered that uh, in, in this year. So, yeah, man, we just we just passed our our year it was great having you on a few weeks ago. So, again, thanks for coming on then. Thanks for having me on now. And I just I just we just love talking wrestling, man. It's it's and it's like the only thing that's still going on. <laughs> I know, I know. You know, you know, the I, I prom in the intro I was talking about how the first time that uh you and I communicated and it was actually through email because yes. I had um uh Sam and and Andy from uh from Light Years, they came into my office and we recorded a version uh, of their show and and some of the folks from next door my company were on it we all watched it in 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 the uh in the office uh the thing is uh, the last time we did it was for Houston and Golden State yep and um you know what's funny is is that i was like okay like i'll record the file uh the first time i did it it was whack because i didn't know anything about you know really <laughs> recording and then the, but the second time they came in I was actually able to figure it out and, 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 and uh, it sounded pretty good. And so I thought, Oh, you know, I, I, this sounds pretty good. I'm going to send it to their producer. And like here I'm thinking like, Oh, you know, I know what I'm doing. Little do I know you have been doing this for a little while. You produced podcasts for, uh, for uh, warriors plus minus with uh, Tim Kawakami and Marcus Thompson. And that also uh, Sam and Andy's light years podcast. Like, Little did I know that, you know, you were like producer extraordinaire. <laughs> so what about from the production side? Like, how long have you actually been in audio and been doing it? And like, how did you even get into it? Like, what was the where was the interest from? Well, so, I mean, I'm a huge podcast listener just in general. I think like most people uh, in, in at least the sports space, like Bill Simmons was just like, whether you hate him or you love him, like he's my guy, right? Like I started listening to Bill Simmons podcast and I haven't looked back since. Uh, yeah. I listen to podcasts at the gym, like over music, uh, you know, like I'm that guy. And the way I actually got into it was, or in, t in terms of working in the business was kind of a fluke, I guess. So I had, uh, I was at Bleacher Report for like three and a half years. And during that time, they, uh, they started partnering with Uninterrupted, which is LeBron James's company. Yeah. And, um, I crossed paths with, uh, Jimmy Spencer, who was at that time an, um, a Bleach Report NBA writer, um, because we were both kind of covering the Warriors and writing about them. And a few years down the line, Jimmy left BR and he messaged me out of the blue uh, on Gchat. Was like, "Hey, just want to let you know I'm I'm working for Uninterrupted. Like I'm employee number one." And I think he was just he ultimately was just letting me know because yeah. we, we we had become friendly over you know the course of time. And I said, "Hey, if anything opens up." hit me up not expecting anything fast forward like a year and i am now moved over to uninterrupted in la uh to work on their i was supposed to work on like their video video side uh where i was like talking to athletes about stuff they wanted to talk about um and then i so i was literally employee number two and in that time like when i got there they wanted to do a podcast so they, they uh, LeBron had just completed the the three one comeback. So this was incredibly painful for me as a Warriors rough fan. Times, uh, rough times. It was times. yeah, but um, no one knew how to cut audio. I, I had like some rough experience based on some stuff I did in high school. So like I 
you know, kind of being a small company, I was like, hey, let me, uh, I, I can at least do this for you. And then so I, I go into the recording studio with LeBron. Jesse Williams is next to me. Uh, St- Stefan Marilachakis. And so we're, we're recording the Open Run Basketball Podcast with LeBron. And I was the only person at that time who had anything to do with audio. And from there, like, I got shifted over to audio full time. And, uh, I, you know, I dove right in and, you know, I, I ended up producing like Draymond Green's podcast. And that's how I ended up working with Marcus and TK and kind of why I'm here now I'm <laughs> doing, you know, that's how we ended up working with you uh, because I, I started producing uh, light years, like you said. So it was it's been a it was kind of fluky, uh, but it also just kind of felt, you know, like it was meant to be just because literally my wife hates driving on long drives with me because all I want to do is listen to podcasts. Like, <laughs> I, I have a problem and uh, it's, you know, I, I wouldn't trade it for anything right now though. It's, it's, it's been an amazing ride. And, uh, and then, you know, now you and uh, Jeremy are on blue wire. Yes. Uh, what, what, what did you call it? The uh, blue wire wrestling pod squad or something like that. That was it. I, th- I think I said it just kind of cheekily like I was joking and then I, over time I just kept writing it like in our group chats and no, <laughs> no one said anything so I was like I kind of like it like it's just one yeah. of those things that grew on you so yeah that's, no, that's what I like to call us you know we're just uh we're like a, a budding NWO if you will yeah exactly exactly with uh with the Dennis Rodman missing practice we're the Dennis Rodman version exactly <laughs> that's right so oh yeah so so no I, I love your backstory um just you know you were very uh, you were very helpful for me when I first came on and uh, just with your time and we met up and hung out once and it was just like, ah, oh, this dude is, this dude is a one. So um, let's move on enough, enough uh, chatting about, our, uh, about <laughs> our, our, our chance meeting. But um, so, you know, when, when uh, I reached out to you, I said, you know, I would love to talk about the last ride uh, yeah. p- uh, documentary that WWE is doing on the undertaker and then not even really realizing that this is the same weekend that the last dance was going to have the last two episodes, which it, it really became the event of, of our, of our weeks, right. You know, based on social media and just watching it live. Like I don't watch anything live except for like some wrestling and just, I, I had to be in front of the TV for this. Same. The last ride is a little bit different because it's um, no one really watches the WWE network. Uh, for their, you know, whatever their live channel or whatever, everyone just watches it on demand. Right. You watch whatever you want. You just dial something up. Yep. Except for the pay per views, people will watch pay per views live. Yep. But so this this experience is a little bit different because I didn't watch these. I didn't know anybody who was watching them when they when they debuted both episodes, the first two, and I watched them on demand, sort of silently and by myself. So it's a little different experience than watching it with all of your Twitter friends tweeting at the same time. And I, I feel like because of The Last Dance and because of this event, it kind of made The Last Ride just seem like, okay, this is just a documentary. And I wonder if The Last Dance wasn't happening at the same time if I would have felt a little bit differently. Yeah, no, it's... Um, when I fired it up initially... The last ride, I should say, but got to got to clarify <laughs> with these two documentaries. <laughs> it was like w, the network obviously has a lot of documentaries, right? And, and like you said, you kind of watch them a la carte, like kind of when you have time. Um, and I had just seen, like, I hadn't seen as many positive reviews for a documentary on the network since the FCW documentary. So I was like, all right, I'm I'm gonna check this one out, and you know, 
I just, there, I think it was just the stars had aligned. Like my wife wanted to watch some reality TV show uh, in the other room. My daughter was asleep. So I was like, all right, I'm going to sit down and watch this Undertaker thing because I have a podcast to do. And, you know, it's, I don't know if it's because their names are so similar, but, but like I just started drawing parallels to them. I, and I don't know oh, if yeah. that was that was accidental or, or whatnot, but um, like The Undertaker is just so he's such a captivating figure, right? Like such a captivating character. And I can't help but still be a little kid like looking at this dude and being like, yo, he's he's terrifying. And as you watch the doc, like that, that's that persona starts to get stripped down like a lot, right? Like as you go and man, like obviously we're only two episodes in and like we just finished the last dance. So uh, I I think I have, we probably have different feelings about the undertaker and Michael Jordan right now. Like we're we're, (laughs) we're, like at that point where like Michael Jordan's the goat, like end of (laughs) argument. And right now we're, you're at that point with the undertaker of like, Whoa, man, this dude's body was was breaking oh, down, yeah. man. This is like this is a this is MJ's ninety three season. <laughs> like toward the end, he was just kind of fried mentally. Uh, well, so- well, the the parallels are, are 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 right on the money because the Undertaker's doc, I think, stems from right before WrestleMania thirty three. Yep, he kind of felt like it was going to be his last match, and I'm sure Vince McMahon and the the network crew were like, you know. When you feel like you're going to be done, we want to do something about it. We want to shoot stuff. And he had called them and said, you know, I, I'm ready, like three, day, three days out of the match or whatever. And so Jordan, the last dance, is also pretty much for the same reason. We think it's his last year. This Bulls dynasty is about to end. And NBA Entertainment, headed by Adam Silver at that point, the, the current right. commissioner, decided that hey if we can get these guys to agree this would be a great way to see them out and uh you know they went to phil phil's like i'm in but you got to get mj and you know it's not going to work without mj obviously so i think the parallels are, are right on the money the main difference to me though is when you're watching the last dance michael jordan is presented as the coolest alpha dog in exist in, in sports history. And at least in the first two episodes with the undertaker, this is a different version of the undertaker. This isn't the, you know, 2010, uh, 2009 WrestleMania 25 version of the undertaker, or even predating that. Right. This is the current broken down old man undertaker and so that is the main difference i think in these two documentaries what do what do you like as you're watching you you mentioned he's got this mystique that that's another parallel is they both have these mystiques one is yeah because michael's just like an icon and the other is because this created character vince mcmahon's creation which mark calloway you know just turned into something brilliant he has not, he's always been in character. He's protected this character so much. But as you're watching him out of character as a normal dude, an, an athlete, and I will call him an athlete because that is what he, uh, that is what made him special. Absolutely. Is it, and he's not, he's not young. He's hurting. He's going through surgery. Like, what are you feeling like this character you've rooted for or you've, you've, you've seen as bigger than life for a lot of your 
um, childhood. And now he's an old man who is at the end. Like, how, how did you how did you see that? How did you enjoy it? Um, what, how did you feel watching this? Yeah, no, I, I enjoyed it because, again, he it, as I've gotten older, like, look, w- when you're a kid, you're 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 told wrestling is fake. But at the same time, you don't want to believe it. Right. There's there's just always there was like a veil in front of you. And now as an adult and you have adult things to do, um, you just you just want to see. The, like the real people. Right. Mm-hmm. We understand wrestling professional wrestling is a show it's entertainment and to watch the undertaker basically be humanized like in front of you like right away too right like so with the last dance doc they're they're bringing you back like 22 years right yeah. so they, they first of all super impressive that they were able to sit on that footage for that long <laughs> and none of it came out um with, with the most recent footage of undertaker again yeah like you said this is the this is the back nine, right? This is kind of uh, Jordan Wizards, <laughs> mm-hmm, <laughs> like if you want to draw mm-hmm. that comparison, right? He he's not anywhere near his peak, and uh, it's it's a lot of bumps and bruises, but I, I kind of enjoyed seeing, like the man. Uh, I I enjoyed I, when I remember when I first learned Mark Calloway's name, like when I was a kid, I was like, oh my god, like he has a real name and he's not from Death Valley, like that's crazy to me. Um, and, and to now watch him just talk about things just as a person, um, it, it makes me root for him more because now I'm like, yeah, those people that he brought out every WrestleMania, they weren't actually druids. They were probably like indie wrestlers who needed a job. <laughs> um, and I, like I, and look, he, he the past couple of matches he's had um, at, at, at WrestleMania's aside from the Boneyard match, um, they've been a little underwhelming, right? And, and just kind of. That I didn't want his mystique to be ruined by those matches. This, if this is what humanizes him for me, and that's where the mystique goes away, I'm totally fine with that. Because like I'm a dude too who's like waking up with aches and pains, probably nowhere near what he's <laughs> going through, right? Because uh, no, no cortisone shots for you. No, no, I haven't. You know, I haven't. When someone's asked if I've had surgery, like never scoffed and laughed because I've had surgery literally from <laughs> head to toe. Like that was an amazing moment in the doc. Um, but I can just relate to him more because there's, I think it's just life experiences. Right. And, um, again, the, just with where professional wrestling is now and that they're allowing you kind of into their world, the real, the real world anyway, um, uh, it it's just refreshing to, to watch Mark Calloway, uh, separate himself from the undertaker because ultimately he is going to go down the road. He will stop wrestling eventually, um, unless this 15 year deal that he signed reportedly signed is for real. He just keeps wrestling till he's 70. Um, but no, I, I've been enjoying the first two episodes. Um, and, and it's, it, it's just been, again, very, very refreshing. Uh, my, my childhood is completely dead <laughs> at this point, but, uh, you know, if it's for the, if that was the, uh, the sacrificial lamb that had to go, I'm totally okay with that. So the first episode is dealing with the undertaker, who has lost his confidence and they relate him losing his confidence to the WrestleMania 30 match with Brock Lesnar, which ends his streak because he can't remember the match. And so he remembers earlier in the day. He doesn't remember getting into the ring. He doesn't remember anything after he doesn't remember how he got through the match. And there's a, 
there's a, you know, I think Michelle McCool so far to me has been the MVP of the. Oh, yes. She's been fantastic. She's kind of like the narrator yeah. of the stuff that he doesn't want to talk about. Yep. But she's going to be honest and, and she's going to talk about it. And so she mentions that they're at the emergency room and he's trying to kayfabe the doctors because he doesn't know his name. And he's like trying to get her to like help him out so he can kayfabe the doctor so he doesn't, you know, so he can go back to do, you know, he doesn't even know why he's there really. So, you know, he always, always the, uh, always the, the wrestler. And so, you know, that just the idea that that match, uh, he was in such bad shape. And I, I don't know if people, I mean, I think people have sort of guessed where the concussion comes from. The documentary shows, uh, Brock throwing him on the outside and him maybe banging his head on the, on the mats on the outside. But just the idea that someone who is of, of his stature of his legendary stature, losing his confidence, like, like I, I was gobsmacked. I had no idea that this happened and that this was a thing with him because you just assume that, you know, he's the undertaker. How would this dude ever lose his confidence? And it's crazy, too, because that was probably from just the wrestling standpoint, the the one time where you're like, oh, he's he's probably almost done. Like if they're about to let him lose and let that streak die, maybe that's the end of 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 the Undertaker. I remember when that initially happened, you know, ESPN had an article about it. Obviously, Brock had a huge part of that. But yeah. um, like, it, yeah, I, watching that that mania match against Brock is um and for him for undertaker to say like i've watched back and i can't even pinpoint where i was concussed <laughs> is is extremely frightening but i feel like that was the moment where we all started to wonder you know is 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 this kind of it and man that's i i really felt for for, for taker in, in the in the last episode because you you can tell it's just he knows that his best days are behind him, right? Like he he can really only work once a year, um, and, and you know just all the shots of him saying, you know, it, it takes me longer to to lace my boots than it does to like get through my workout, and and that's 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 nuts, right? For for someone, yeah. They, and you know the thing about it is, I think wrestling is is so different for this reason, which is he's not needed. To play a season, you know, mm-hmm. like 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 Michael and Scotty, you know, they they part of part of the the documentary was Michael being ready for baseball, having a baseball body, not having played basketball for a year and a half, and then trying to come back and not having the same stamina and the same. Um, he just got burnt. He he was just just his body didn't react the way that that he wanted it to. Because he had to go back and play, you know, a half of a season and then the playoffs. But with The Undertaker, he's literally, like you said, preparing for one match. And so there's a scene where he gets work done on his hip. And he's like, wow, I I feel better than I have since, I think he said, the first Sean match. The 25 match, right? Yeah. Yeah, 2009 or something like that. And so you go, wow. So he worked great matches with Sean again. Two with Triple H, a yep. pretty decent match with CM Punk, and and all of those were on this bad hip, and so he feels sort of rejuvenated. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, okay, you feel great now, then you're going to have these matches, 
And then you're going to have to go have another crazy surgery because this is just this like vicious cycle. Yeah. That shows, I mean, that shows the, the competitor in him, but there's a word that Vince used that kind of frustrated me because the, the second episode is all about their relationship and, yep. and he sees Vince as like a father figure, a brother, a best friend. And Vince historically has these kinds of relationships with his top guys. I'm sure Hogan thought the same at one point. Austin, Rock, they all thought the same and, and uh, have, have said so in the past. Cena as well. And, but The Undertaker is the one who sort of stretched that out for all these years. But Vince said, Undertaker sees coming back and wrestling as his sense of responsibility. And I kind of sat on that word for a second because it made it seem like Vince's expectation is that the undertaker is going to wrestle until the wheels absolutely fall off. And I don't know if you got that sense. Undertaker definitely wants to appease Vince. He definitely wants his approval. He wants to make him happy. And that relationship, if I'm reading, I I may be reading into it incorrectly, but that relationship seems like it can be a little harmful at the same time when we are at the tail end of Taker's career. There's definitely a sense of loyalty there that is a little shocking. Um, And I I guess if we're doing parallels, it's, it's almost like how Michael felt about Phil, right? He's like, I only want to play for Phil Jackson. If Phil Jackson's not coaching this team, like I'm out. So, you know, God forbid, knock on wood, you know, something happens to Vince. Like, I don't know if Taker's still going to have that, that same quote unquote responsibility to the company so but no i was with you in terms of like that relationship um and it was just even i think it was exemplified in that uh, obviously you listed a couple names there rock um austin cena but there's that picture of taker sitting there with bret hart razor diesel oh yeah like all those dudes left they left Mm -hmm. vince right hogan too um and clearly there's some there's like some familial bond and I know Taker talked about it a little bit in in the second episode where he you know he was in a dark place Vince gave him some tough love and that's what made him bounce back and maybe that's where this you know loyalty stems from I, he didn't really go too deep into it um but it it is a little I don't know if disturbing is the right word it it definitely shocked me that Basically, Taker's at Vince's beck and call, and that is scary from, like, I, I just don't want anything to happen to Taker, like, in the ring. You know, like, that Yeah, that would, like, watching him against Roman, that was kind of this the the downhill point where you're like, oh, man, like, he just, he just doesn't have it um, anymore. Like, I just, I just don't want it to be where we get to a point where he's in the middle of a match and, like, something drastic happens and like that's your last your last lasting image of the undertaker well we almost saw it with the goldberg match right oh my god oh my god yes <laughs> oh my god and, and i mean and, and you know I'm, i may be misremembering but i don't think we've seen a good undertaker match uh in quite some time the, uh, the obviously the boneyard match was good but it was not an actual match it was, more it was of cinematic a, uh, it was a movie oh, yeah it was, it was a movie yeah um as my my buddy uh, Chris uh, DiPatrio calls it, I think he calls it a cinematch. Yeah, it was a cinematch. I like that. Um, so so 
the idea that he's going to come back in a ring frightens me like like you just mentioned and so i hope they have other ideas for him um and i do wonder what the undertaker character is in a couple of years because i think if you want him to still be around still be around tv I don't think you can do it with the same current Undertaker character. He's going to have to be a little bit more like Mark Calloway, and I don't right. know if they that if they want that mystique to 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 go away like that. I don't I don't know exactly, but in his current form as the old Undertaker, the old school Undertaker doesn't really work unless he can still do the matches. So I think my guess is that it'll be a little bit more like the Undertaker that was in that Boneyard match. Who is? It's kind of like a um, a cross between the old school Undertaker and the American Badass Undertaker, and you get this like amalgam Undertaker, which I would be totally fine with. Like he doesn't even have to take a bump anymore if he comes back and does something, takes somebody under his wing, um, is is a TV persona once every four or five months, uh, whatever it is. I think he still has something left that he can give except the wrestling part, which is like you, I'm fearful of. Yeah, no, to your point of has he had a good match since or a good showing, let's say since WrestleMania 34 and, you know, the Boneyard match excluded. Like, no, like they even tease that going into episode three of the last ride, um, talking about the tag match with, uh, with him and Kane against DX against HBK and Triple H. And, they, they they even showed a couple of the botches, just like a couple of their missteps, and you're like, oh my god, I forgot. Like some of it, there were some aspects of that match that were that were fine and that were passable, but in the end, it was like four dudes, like way past their prime, like trying to make it work for an overseas show, right? For basically a glorified house show, and I I, I do think the boneyard cinema matches, if you will, they kind of give. Like, I, like people have been saying, and I totally agree that you can't do the cinematic matches that often, right? They're gonna lose that that aura and that specialness. Oh yeah. But you, if you save it for like Undertaker matches, that totally fits in with you know his character. Um, what even if they scale back the dead man aspect a little bit, and it it, it protects him so much. Like you, you talked about, he doesn't have to take a bump or take as many bumps anymore. If they do these cinemat cinema matches. They can protect him times ten, right? Like, yeah, he could take a bump, but they can like cut away. Uh, they can do stuff with the cameras. So, I, I do think this will extend his career um, probably a lot longer than he thought, <laughs> right? Like, if he thought he was done <laughs> after after the Reigns match, and he's still he's still going. I mean, he he clearly still has that itch, and I guess well, that's, well, that's the most important thing. WrestleMania thirty five was the first time that he was not on a WrestleMania card. Uh, in since I don't know since probably the the mid nineties or something. Yeah. So so that that was a little t- telling, and then you know he was back for the cinema match. So maybe, maybe that is kind of what they do from here on out. All right. Before we uh, before I let you go, I do have one question to kind of tie the last dance and the last ride together. Sure. If we if we think of Michael Jordan as the ultimate. Uh, the most famous basketball player, the GOAT. He's got longevity. He's got championships. He's got alpha dog status. 
must-see TV, highest ratings of all time for NBA Finals games. Who in WWE, since you've been watching, would you consider the Michael Jordan of the WWE? Wow. 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 Okay. I, just like historically? Not right now, right? Just Well, yeah, because, general. you know, I was... I, I was trying to think, and and I think um, when it comes to the longevity piece, The Undertaker is the closest one. When it comes to just the iconic status, uh, The Rock is probably that guy. If you were to shorten MJ's run into like three or four years, then it would be Austin because his three or four years, he was hotter than everybody else. Yeah, and and and, there, and there also there's there's obviously there's Hogan, um, whose window was only from really eighty four to ninety two. So you know people, you know he was right. only there for eight, you know eight or nine years, and then he came back at, at the end when, when you know after WCW died. But so you know even Hogan, who may be the pick, but he doesn't have the same longevity as as you would think based on him being, you know, what what Vince would call like the Babe Ruth of the WWE or something. Yeah, I think my gut reaction when you ask that question and I had to juggle with it. My gut reaction is Austin, and that's simply from a standpoint of like Austin probably saved WWE from disaster, right? During the Monday Night Wars. Obviously there was there was a lot, but Austin was the face of that at that time. It's kind of like how, you know, there was a lot of talk in the doc about how MJ made the NBA global. Then once the Dream Team thing happens, that just sparks a movement across the globe. Everyone wants to be Michael Jordan. And I just feel like when you think about like what made you a wrestling fan, or at least kind of like in that attitude era, right? Like Austin's not even my favorite wrestler. Um, he's, he's in my top, top three, but he's the guy that kind of had me sucked in and glued uh, to WWE. And if, you know, I think the longevity thing is probably the thing that works most against him. And you're like, and you're right in that undertaker is that, is that dude in terms of longevity. Um, I just got, I just got to go with Austin. Just the reactions that he elicited, and you, when you compare him to MJ, that's star power. Everything MJ did was it, it grabbed your attention so much, and it was the same with Austin. Like like he Austin had the biggest pops um, of that era, and he was coupled with DX, The Rock. Like for him to be at the top of uh of of the at the of the food chain at that time was nuts. And I think that's the same with with Jordan when you're kind of looking at uh how he was the top at that time. I know people are like, "Oh, MJ p- played against plumbers and stuff like that." Like, no, man. Like he <laughs> he dominated an, an era that has a lot of the top 50 players of all time. And maybe like that list needs to be redone with kind of taking oh, yeah. the LeBrons and KDs and D-Wades of the world in, into account, but like look at that list of top 50 players. Um, and MJ dominated all of them. So that's my answer. Yeah, I, my I, I mean, I, I, I think I think that's a good answer. I could probably go Rock as well because Rock was able to keep a celebrity surpassing wrestling, and he's a he's a celebrity. He's one of the biggest celebrities going today. <laughs> Literally, yeah, um, yeah. So, um, 
Yeah, but it's an interesting question. I mean, you know, wrestling is a little bit different, like I said, because, uh, you know, you, your window is a lot shorter. You're, you're, you know, a pro wrestler being on top is is more akin to a running back being on top uh, in the NFL because you you probably have at most, you know, unless you're a freak like Walter Payton or Emmett Smith, like you have. Uh, you it's know, a short eight, window, eight years, <laughs> yeah. you know, Frank, Frank Gore has been able to interestingly do it, but he's not super duper famous like those guys. But yeah, it, the, the window's a little bit different. So no, uh, uh, good, good, uh, good answer. I, I was, I was really curious because you and I, um, were, 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 uh, different ages. I, I, I have some years on you, but I was wondering your perspective because of when you were, you know when you really became a fan uh in that era that 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 was i was wondering if you were going to lean that way and, and and it makes a lot of sense yeah, but um okay was, yeah. before before we get out of here i want you to uh talk about where people can find the pod and kind of how you guys do your thing because you know it is it much like john and i it is a is a two-man deal and 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 then you you also bring on guests and such but like you know how how do you how do you and Jeremy do it and and generally what's kind of the the layout of the show? Yeah, no. Uh, so we record usually Wednesday nights uh, right after NXT and Dynamite, uh, just to get as much content in there as as possible. And we actually just started doing two shows a week, so we're doing we record Wednesday nights to release Thursday morning, and then we record right after uh, SmackDown on Fridays. Now it's that's a we've been doing that the past couple of weeks, um, but yeah, no. Uh, Jeremy and I obviously live separately because we, we each have our own individual <laughs> families. Like we don't live together to do a podcast. That'd be that'd be weird. Uh, but um, yeah, we record it separately, and you know, it's we just try to we just try to keep it fun. We just found ourselves always like texting about wrestling. You're right. It got to the point where like my wife would turn to me sometimes and wonder who the hell are you texting like at ten <laughs> o'clock on a Monday. And then, you know, I have to explain, you know, I'm talking to Jeremy about, you know, Dean Ambrose just turned on Seth Rollins. It was crazy. Um, and <laughs> we want it to be the uh, sports bar version, uh, sports bar talk version of, of a wrestling show. I, th- I think the idea got sparked from we were watching SummerSlam, not last year, but the year before at this random bar in Fremont because we someone we, we saw this invite on Twitter. Um, and it was probably one of the most fun things. It was, it was an eclectic group of people. I'd, I, I, we didn't know if we were going to get out of there alive, um, but it was just that it was just talking to those people, uh, with, you know, there was a little bit of, a uh, adult beverages being, being passed oh, around yeah. there. Um, and you know, Jeremy and I, we love that energy and we just wanted to bring that to the podcast, uh, to the podcast format. We, we're always drinking. We've been pushing like the white claw thing just because we we made a joke of it. Um, and Jeremy actually tried to out chug like Stone Cold using using white claws, <laughs> uh, which he failed. By the way, it was it was it was horrible. Um, but you know that that's just it. We just we just wanted to to have have some fun. And so I, I will say the thing that I like about your chemistry is you guys literally shoot the shit. Yeah, like yeah. It, it's it you're not. Um, you know, you're 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 not making things more important than they are. You are having a conversation about things that you enjoy and that you have fun with, and that that the chemistry piece of it is is what I think is is uh, is the best part of of what you guys do because it's like a casual conversation 
there's not you know there there's a little bit of debate here and there but you guys aren't arguing about anything because you're just like oh it's just fun what we like to do so i i think that piece uh works really well and um and yeah man so you know the uh the, the podcast so you guys got two episodes a week john and i are doing the same thing now because we have so much stuff to talk about right um what what about social where can people find you guys yeah no you can follow uh follow us on twitter at two jabronis pod uh same on instagram the bleacher report app which uh we we love talking to people in there we just started a youtube channel so if you want to see our ugly mugs on youtube <laughs> uh two jabronis with a wrestling podcast on there you can follow me uh, on twitter at cruise control that's control with a k and that's Really, because I when I first joined Twitter, which was like in 2009, which is now an eternity ago, cruise control with yeah. a C was taken. It oh was my god, heartbroken! So I, I threw in the K because at that time I was like, ah, whatever, Twitter. I'm just I just want to get on this to see what it's about. Didn't realize it'd become addicted and that this would stay with me for oh, yeah. like oh, 10 yeah. plus years. But you know, here we are. So uh, you know, follow me on there for a bunch of uh, wrestling and. Warriors takes for all my Warriors fans out there. If you're not a Warriors fan, uh, I don't know what to tell you. But <laughs> uh, and then follow Jeremy too. I'm going to give my my co-host a little shout out at Jeremy A Loss. That's L O S. So uh, no double G man. Thanks so much for having me on. This this, this is a lot of fun. And uh, again, love your guys' show. It's uh it's, it's it's truly an honor for for me to be here. Now nah, we got to do we got to do this again. Maybe maybe when the uh, Undertaker series wraps up, maybe we can give some quick final thoughts or something. Yeah, and, uh, get you and man, I would love to get both of you on at the same time. I think that would be fun too. Absolutely. And once this stuff all passes, we'll, we'll get we'll get you guys in the studio too. Dude, that's what I'm waiting for. I want I want to see the digs. That's what yeah, I, that's what I want to see. I, I it's why I set up the studio with like three mics you know, three sets of headphones. And then all of a sudden there's a pandemic and I'm like, I, no one can come in here. For, for yeah, this, I, I, my goal is to get uh, me and uh, Dave Meltzer into your studio. So we could just talk wrestling. That's my goal. It's uh, it's ready for you. We can have uh, the network on in the background. It's uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's ready and waiting for you guys. All right, man. So uh, thanks. Thanks to, uh, to BJ and uh, we will cut to a quick break to talk about Blue Chew. All right, and now about our friends at Blue Chew. Guys, looking to last longer and go a few extra rounds, get to bluechew.com. Bluechew.com has the first ever chewable that brings your performance in the bedroom to another level. And I did research this. When it gets into the cheeks, that's how it gets into the bloodstream quicker. They've got the same active ingredients that are in Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. And since they're chewable, they work faster. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. Plus, you don't need to go to the doctor's office or spend time waiting in a pharmacy line and in these social distancing times. That is definitely a big benefit. Uh, Blue Chew's online physician is free of cost and once approved, your order ships straight to your door in discreet packaging. Another plus here in our social distancing times. Here's a great deal for you guys. Visit bluechew.com and get your first order free when you use promo code BLUEWIRE, just pay the $5 of shipping. Again, that's blue com promo code BLUEWIRE. 
All right, now bringing in Robert Silva, who's been writing a lot for us. Want to talk about that in a little bit, but main reason he's on is because we just passed the 15th anniversary of the very first Diego Corrales and Jose Luis Castillo fight, which is one of the most historic action fights of all time. And uh, Robert wanted to come on and talk about it. And, you know, we are kind of into the thing of of rewatching fights and talking about them. And uh, I think it's a good opportunity to do so. Robert, you're here. Apologize. We were trying to do this last week as well to be a little bit closer to that anniversary. But at least we can do it now better late than never. Yeah. And um, in my opinion, this is one of the five greatest fights in the history of boxing. And it ain't number five. (laughs) <laughs> so so what what Robert is actually referencing is uh, if you've been to fightgamemedia.com lately, you may have seen not only his pieces on the greatest featherweights, which is the list that we are on now, but also he's uh, been posting his greatest fights of all times list. We are posting five fights at a time until we get into the uh, top 20, and then we'll sort of change the rhythm mm-hmm. of, of those posts. I uh, want to extend out the, uh, the post because there's lots of really good writing in there, and I want people to really, to really uh, read them, and, and, and we'll have videos and stuff embedded in those posts. But So that's what, what Robert is referencing. So he's giving you a little bit of a sneak preview as we get to the top five. This will be within the top five. Yes. Now, when it comes to... Uh, just the the overall memory of this fight, and we'll we'll break it down in a second. But I think you know, even even though the fight is great, what actually overshadows everything is the fact that Corrales passes away two years to the day of the fight, and like just the sadness, and and you know, as as the end of sort of sort of the end of the fight, and the two years. After this fight between the two, you know, he's he's pretty beat up because of this fight. And then, you know, just really sad the way that he passes away two years later. So that that kind of over like that overshadows almost everything to me. This fight is a lot like a lot of great classic fights in which both fighters are never the same. You know, the thriller Manila, Frazier and Ali were never the same. Meldrick Taylor versus Julio Cesar Chavez, neither fighter, especially Taylor, was never the same. The first Jose Luis Castillo versus Diego Corrales fight, neither fighter was ever the same. Corrales never won another fight after this. He lost his next three fights and then, like you said, died on a motorcycle accident when he was drunk. His alcohol level at the time of his death was point twenty five. The, the legal uh, limit in the state of California, you, you live there, so you could you could correct me if I'm wrong, I believe is 0.8. So it's th- it was three times the legal limit. He was a damaged, damaged fighter. And he had a very troubled life. He even went to prison for 14 months. I'll go into it. Um, before this fight, he had been in prison just two years prior. So uh, Diego lived a very, very fast and troubled life inside and outside the ring. So let's talk about this fight. Um, I think most most people will have, have seen it or at least heard about it. But 
the tenth round is the you know it, it's the the one of the most memorable rounds that you're ever going to see. But my first question is. Outside of the tenth round, what was your favorite round? Because there are so many great rounds in this oh fight. Oh my god! Pick a pick and choose the sixth round, the seventh round, the eighth round. Because the sixth through eighth round was back and forth, it, and it was a similar pattern. Corrales would rock Castillo early and take the first half, and then Castillo would rock Corrales right before the end of the round. Um. What round? It was either the seventh or eighth round where it was the reverse, where it was the end of the seventh round where Corrales rocked Castillo, picked picked him up off his feet with a spectacular left hook, and then began the next round going after uh, 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 Castillo, and then the second half of the round, Castillo turned it around and stacked Corrales. It was just the tenth round is the best round of the fight. That's one of the greatest rounds in the history of boxing. But beginning with the second round to the ninth round, back and forth action, not one step taken back. Castillo was like Julio Cesar Chavez light in his style, and it's funny. You see junior and senior in the third row watching the fight, and they they're just transfixed. Like, what the fuck am I watching here? <laughs> <laughs> they just they just they look like zombies that so into the fight. But he had one of the greatest chins of his era, and he kept coming and coming and coming. Corrales was a, was a tall fighter who fought small. He never fought tall. One of the reasons why Floyd Jr. was able to just easily batter him and and put him out because he never fought tall. Corrales, had he been trained by Emmanuel Stewart, could have been a great fighter. He was a very good fighter who was severely flawed. He never met a punch. He, 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 he could dodge. He the very... No defense whatsoever. He had tremendous power in both hands, and he went on that. But that's not going to take you long. He was washed up at the age of 20. He's, 20. he's 26 in this fight, going on 27. He's practically washed up after this fight at a very young age. So I was going to say <clears throat> round eight is my favorite, obviously, other than the than the last 10th uh, round. Right. And... <clears throat> Yeah, because you're right, because at the end of the seventh, he staggers uh, Castillo with a left hook, and then he comes real quick on, on, on Castillo, and then Castillo turns it around. Yeah, you, you're you right. The eighth round of the tenth is the best round of the fight. Well, there is so much back and forth trading. That it looks, it looks like a, it looks like a Rocky movie without, without the drama, you know, the dramatic music and the and the, and the crazy knockdowns. But it, it's like you feel like, oh wow, like Corrales has him, and then nope, two, ten seconds later, Castillo Castillo has him, and so it's so back and forth that the entire round you're thinking both of these guys are going to get knocked down or you know some, they're going to get stopped, but it just keeps going. The action is insane. And I think that sort of sets the tone for that tenth round. Uh, if you if the the crowd the crowd is is playing uh, very much into this. I, I think by the end of the first round, they're sort they they don't give they don't quite give like that standing O, but you can sense just by the the um, the sound of the crowd at the end of that first like 
they're looking at each other going like, okay, we we are here in for a treat. Like they could tell right, right when that round is over. I knew going into this fight that this fight could be a classic because neither fighter takes a step backwards. These guys were meant to fight each other. Like I said, Corrales was a tall fighter, but like a Riddick bow, he he was a tall fighter that could fight inside. He he fought better inside than outside. He really never, even though at one point when Buddy McGirt was his trainer, he was able to one time box and defeat. Joel Casmayor by fighting tall. The only time I ever saw him actually outbox a boxer, he outboxed Casmayor after being stopped in their first fight. He beat Casmayor in a rematch, and then he destroyed Asselino Freitas to set up this unification fight with Jose Luis Castillo. The Freitas fight was more of a brawl. Two guys just going at it, and he was a harder puncher than the hard-hitting Brazilian Freitas. I knew going into this fight, because Castillo never took a step back, Corrales is not taking a step back that this was going to be a war. I just didn't know it was going to be this good. <laughs> it was better. It was better than what I would dream. I could not believe this. If you, if you go back to 2005, uh, what was the outlook coming into the fight? Who was favored, uh, you know, as far as, uh, as as the trajectory of where both of their careers were going? You'd mentioned you know, Corrales uh, soon thereafter was was almost was pretty much done. Like how, because of this fight, how, because how, of this fight, how were they both seen coming into this fight in two thousand five? Well, they both were in their primes going into this fight. Castillo was a tough son of a bitch. He gave Floyd Mayweather hell in both fights they fought. Mayweather barely won the first fight and convincingly won the second fight. But Castillo pressured Mayweather like no other. The only other fight I ever saw pressure Mayweather like Castillo did was uh, Marcos Madonna in their first fight. Closest I ever seen to somebody pressure. That's why we said at lightweight had Floyd fought Duran. Duran would have beaten Floyd because he puts more pressure than them two guys combined. Uh, But Castillo rebounded after Floyd left the lightweight division and regained the WBC lightweight championship. Uh, I don't know what the—I don't don't go by the odds makers. I don't know what what the betting line was, but I thought Corrales was going to beat Castillo because he was the heavier puncher and the taller guy, and I thought he would knock out Castillo, but I thought he'd knock him out quicker. I didn't think— it would take him this long and him on the brink of almost getting killed before he did it. And then, you know, when we get to uh, when we get to the 10th round, there are two knockdowns. Uh, but the man who actually wins the fight is the man who gets knocked down twice. Do you remember what you were thinking in this 10th round? Because th- there's a there's a couple things that happen. So Corrales gets hit with a body shot, goes down. And he spits out his mouthpiece, and so that gives him uh, gives him a little break. And I think I saw um, one of the pieces that you sent me where um, Goosen was was talking about how he put the clear mouthpiece in the clear ice, and thus it took him a little bit longer to fish it out and clean it because he couldn't find it. Like hint, hint. This is why you know we're we're, we're going to use some time here to to Joe Joe Goosen was the star of this fight because I love it after the second knockdown 
He puts the mouthpiece in Corrales. He said, you better fucking get inside of him now. Yes, <laughs> I, yes. I love that shit. Joe Goosen. Oh, he was great. Uh, Joe Goosen. I have an issue with Joe Goosen, but I, Joe Goosen probably knew from training Corrales that Corrales wasn't going to listen to him as far as boxing. So he told him, just keep doing what you do is stay inside, stay inside. He didn't once tell him to stay outside and box. But that was just great. You better fucking get inside now. I loved, I, I loved that. Joe Goosey was great at that point. That was the purpose, of course. And that was the first time I had ever seen any fighter do that. And that was the beginning of a trend that the ABC, the uh, the uh, the American Bo- uh, uh, Boxing Council, the the the, the 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 sanctioning body of rules throughout the United the, the United States puts that you can't do that again if you do that you automatically get deducted points so you don't see that anymore and he did get deducted and he was way behind after that because look two knockdowns is 10-7 Tony Weeks takes a point away for spitting out the mouthpiece that's 10-6 that's the fight he he needs a knockout because the fight was even going into the 10th round he needs a knockout now yeah absolutely Um, Castillo made a huge mistake Castillo's a phenomenal body puncher. He went headhunting, which was Corrales' only shot, and he walked into a spectacular left hook that froze him, and then Corrales turned the tables around him and then landed one combination after another, left hook, right cross, that froze. He was out on his feet up against the ropes. If there was no ropes there, Garrett, he would have been sitting on, on Chavez Sr. and Jr.'s lap. <laughs> so, uh, so Corrales comes back, wins the fight, and, I, and I, I don't know what the shot was, but he hits Castillo with a shot, and just Castillo's body uh, posture just changes. Yeah. It was a left hook, right cross combination. Oh, you talk about the first punch? Yeah. That- it was a left hook that, that Castillo walked right into. Yeah. And then that turned everything around. Everything around. And all of a sudden, it, it sapped Castillo of his power. Castillo made a huge mistake. He should have went to Corrales' body. He's going after Corrales, giving Corrales a chance, because even though Corrales is hurt, he still hits. He still hits. He still got daggers in both hands. Yeah. He walks into that left hook and... Now they reverse the ropes. He's hurt. Once he's up against the ropes, he's he's helpless. He's out on his feet. And Tony Weeks did a spectacular job of refereeing this fight. Took away that point when he had to and stopped the fight at the right time. Even though people were, were, were crying about the stoppage, one more punch and Castillo could have been killed. He was out on his feet. So there's, there's a bit of a sad, like... Um I guess not not really sad, but frustrating aftermath of this fight, which is you just mm-hmm. had such a great fight. Right. People people want to see it again, and they try to turn it around in three months, which is not nearly enough time for both of these guys. To recover from the beating that they took. Not only to recover, but to get back into tip-top shape because they're going to fight again and they're going to go through hell again. And I, I just thought that was such a sad thing. Like, 
how how do how does that fight get made and you know why why is the commission okay with them getting back in i mean i'm assuming a lot of this is, is the fighters wanting that payday and not saying you know i need more time and, uh, and, it, and it was a disappointing rematch because castillo did not make the weight uh corrales agreed to more money to fight him and for the belt not to be on the line but Corrales took a horrific beating because Castillo really didn't train. He came in very heavy, and he beat the hell out of Corrales. Then they were going to have a third fight, this time with the title on the line. Castillo did the same thing, and Corrales was like, nah, nah. we're not." The fight was canceled the day before. The day of the weigh-in, the night before the fight, the fight was canceled. The third fight. So what was Castillo's deal? I mean, he, he obviously was probably uh, too heavy for the weight class, but I mean, you know, that that is just so disrespectful uh, the second time. But then to come back and do it a third, the third you know, for the time. third fight, that's and just then, reckless. That's reckless. And then, and then Corrales talked all this shit, signed to fight Joe Casamoyo for a third fight, and he didn't come in at the lightweight limit. And Casamoyo said, nah, I'm, I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight for your title. If Casamoya wins, he gets the title. Corrales can't get the title because he's over, can't retain the title. And Casamoya beats Corrales by decision. Corrales was a hypocrite because he tore it to Castillo. And then in his fight against Casamoya, he can't make the weight. And then Corrales fights one more time against Joshua Clotty. And Clotty beat the shit out of Corrales. And Corrales had moved up to welterweight. And you think at six foot one, he would fill in welterweight perfectly, but he was a shot fighter from the beatings against from the two beatings he suffered against Castillo, from the beatings against Casamayor, from the beating that Floyd Mayweather gave him back in 2001. Mm-hmm. All those beatings finally add up, and at the age of 28, he was washed up. Then at the age of 29, he dies in that horrific motorcycle accident. So, uh, Castillo, you mentioned Floyd, and it made me think about he also fought Floyd. Yeah. And uh, twice, actually. Yep. And uh, probably gave Floyd, you know, one of his closest fights ever. The two toughest fights Floyd had in his career were Marcos Madonna and Jose Luis Castillo. Because both guys in their first fights, in their respective first fights, put pressure on Floyd, threw a lot of punches, went to the body, crowded Floyd, didn't give Floyd a chance to do that posturing where he sets you up, where he where he uh, measures you with his left hand, and then you know figures you out. No, they stayed on top, stop on top of him, and both fights were very close decision wins by Floyd. Now Floyd figured out how to beat them in the rematches, and the rematches were much easier fights. But Castillo in that first fight with Floyd, there were about five six rounds, Garrett, that could have gone either way. If Castillo would have won. I couldn't have said it was a robbery. Yeah. A lot of people thought Castillo had won, but you got to watch that fight. There are a lot of rounds where there's a lot of mauling and, and grabbing and holding, where there's not a lot of punches being thrown, and it's up to you to decide who you think won that fight, the aggressiveness of Castillo or maybe Floyd's defense or landing one or two more punches. It's up to how you perceive that round. That was a very one of the toughest fights I ever had to score. The second fight was much, much more clear clearer because Floyd kept the fight in the middle of the ring. He wasn't up against the ropes like he was throughout the majority of the first Castillo fight. Same thing with Madonna. Remember the Madonna fight? Madonna even um, knocked the tooth out of Floyd in the first fight. He gave Floyd hell. 
Well, and I think the other thing about that is the announcers were were clearly of the opinion that Castillo was winning that fight. Now, you know, the announcing team can be a little bit persuasive and maybe a little bit too much persuasive, but that, that's kind of their job. That's so, their job. So, so, you know, I think a lot of fans who were so up in arms about that decision, some of that was because they were just listening well, to, to the uh, uh, announce team. Larry Merchant has always had uh, a dislike for Floyd Mayweather since the very beginning. I had, uh, it, it always came out almost to the point where, where Floyd threatened him to one of their posts. <laughs> post <for, laughs> if I was only 40 years younger, you wouldn't do shit. <laughs> that, was a, and, that was an amazing moment. And Harold Letterman, you know, always goes for the aggressive boxer. So those two guys, because Lampley was more, Lampley, Lampley was, 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 was more partial, but Merchant and Letterman were both painting the picture that Castillo was winning this fight easy, and it wasn't an easy fight. That was a very, very tough fight, and uh, Floyd wins the decision, gives him an immediate rematch, and in the rematch, he definitely won. The first fight could have gone either way. When when Floyd talks about his uh, his his toughest fights, does this one come up, or does he not think that uh, this no, would actually he, tough? He always, he always gave Castillo all the credit in the world. Never badmouth Castillo. Check the post-fight interviews of both fights. He gave Castillo the utmost respect. All right, so uh, can we talk a little bit about the uh, series that you're writing? Yes. Uh, so yeah. we are up to... Um, Oh, before we before we continue, I yeah, want yeah. one last thing about Corrales. After Corrales, Corrales had a very troubled life. Died at the age of twenty nine. We talked about, and it's ironic how you die two years to the day of one of the greatest fights in boxing history, the same date, May seventh. Unbelievable. Which is also my birthday, by the way. Oh wow. Uh, he uh, right after Floyd wiped the mat with him. He went to prison for 14 months, Diego, for beating his pregnant girlfriend. He had a very troubled, troubled uh, uh, career, in, career led, led a very fast life inside and outside the ring. After Floyd had beaten him, he took a swing at his own father, Ray Woods, his trainer, because Ray Woods stopped the fight. Yep. And fired his father, and they never spoke again. Even to the point when he died, they never spoke again, because like a week or two after losing to Floyd, he went to prison for 14 months for beating his pregnant girlfriend. So Diego had a very troubled life. And um, he wasn't going to retire, so he was going to die young one way or the other because the beatings he was taking in the ring, unbelievable. You know, now, um, my, one of my friends grew up around him when they were both young. Uh, my friend Carla, her, she, uh, she's uh, uh, Stitch's daughter. <laughs> Sitch's daughter. Quick question. Diego's from Sacramento. Where's Diego from? That's a good question. I don't know, because I, I think uh, Carla and Stitch are from Oakland, I believe. Is Sac Sacramento's part of the Bay Area? A uh, hundred miles away. Because I, uh, I, I think he's from the Sacramento area. But anyway, continue. Go ahead. I mean, maybe, maybe he, yeah, maybe from training in gyms and stuff, they knew each other. But, um, but yeah, like, you know, I the... The story, like I said, you know, this, the whole the whole story of of the way that the fight ended and the the return fight ha happening too quickly, and then the third fight, and and 
you know, the uh, can't make weight, like that whole stuff. Plus then the death, I feel like, you know, it just so it just overshadows everything and you can enjoy this fight. But at the same time, in enjoying the fight, you just think about all the things that happen after. Yeah, and, and, the, and the crazy thing is that was the last win. By the way, I just looked it up real quick. You, you might know this section. He was raised in the Oak Park section of Sacramento. Yeah. Hmm. Which is one of the worst sections of Sacramento. So there you go. And um, he, 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 his father trained him at the Sacramento Police Athletic League Boxing Gym. So, yeah, he is from Sacramento. Okay, so let's talk about the series that you are currently writing. Um, like I mentioned, if anyone's been to Fight Game Media, the new and revamped FightGameMedia.com website, uh, very prolific are two, two series that you're writing. One is you are uh, in the middle of your greatest featherweights of all time. And you've also started, like I mentioned, cataloging the greatest fights of all time. Now, when you put the, we, we've we've talked about before kind of the the mentality you go in writing these pieces but in writing about the greatest fights it's a little bit different in that you're not ranking guys necessarily you're looking mm-hmm. for you know fights and action and everything how are you what you know what's your way of rating these things like what do you use a scale are you just going by memory do you have you actually written all of these down and scored them in the past like what is what is the mentality and the process to go through putting together this list a few years ago i was i was going to uh write a a a post on i I write i write an article on our boy big d's uh website geek the 101 yeah and i was going to do that and i had listed the 50 fights and for uh, over a three-month period i i was watching i watched over 200 fights from my collection and I broke it down to these two, these 50. I ranked them, but I never got to start writing the article for each one. I got, uh, things came up. Then when you came with the relaunch, you said, come up with something. Boom. I said, wait, I got these, I got these listed. All I got to do is write them up. And, and my criteria for these being the 50 greatest is the import, the importance of the fight, the action inside the ring, the level of skill, because when you when 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 you see the total fifty after it's all said and done, you're not going to see two, uh, barroom fights, guys just hammering left and right. Now you there'll there'll be some skill to it, and there'll be a uh, uh, drama, like the the three Gaddy fights that are in the top fifty. They they drama filled. Mm-hmm. The fights with Matthew Saad Muhammad. This fight we just talked about. They're drama filled. There's ebbs, there flows. Hagler Hearns, which is also top five one of the top five greatest fights of all time that'll be on my list drama filled the importance of the fight the skill level and what i perceived as being because all these all 50 fights as you know your boy dave with his five star scale these all of these 50 fights are five star fights it's just a matter of what you think is better than the other right so uh, as you're putting together the list, you kind of in just in your brain, you're, you're doing a lot of research, doing a lot of rewatches. When you put it together, did you um, 
how did how did you make sure you didn't miss anything or you, you didn't miss you know or were, did you have any reference material where you're like oh, I want to I want to make sure you know I didn't miss anything. What are some other lists that have that have been out there? Because you have really old fights in there, so you're going back yep. quite a ways. Yep. Uh, and I replaced one fight. My number fifty fight was the St. Valentine's Day massacre. Originally was the St. Valentine's Day Massacre, February 14th, 1951. Sugar Ray Robinson versus the Raging Bull, Jake LaMotta, which was chronicled in the Raging Bull. As to fact, you never put me down, Rock. You never put me down, Ray. You never put me with, with, with uh, De Niro saying that. That was a great fight. It doesn't make the cut anymore because of last year's incredible Nioa Inoue. Mm-hmm. No Nino Donaire fight. That fight took its place, but it's going to be higher. It's going to be higher. So that's the only fight in the last three or four years that, in my opinion, belongs top 50 all time. There's been a lot of great fights, a lot of great fights that people, after said and done, people will probably write to me, post, uh, tweet to me, well, what about this fight? What about that fight? It's, it's all opinion. Right. There's a lot. There's a lot of this easily. There's easily easily 200 fights that could be in this top 50. There's been so many great fights. I just break it down by what what I felt was better with with a 50 best. But I mean, the, the the 10 best definitely are some of the greatest fights of all time. But you know, as far as the top 50 go, it's what I've seen and what I what what I feel is the best 50. Now, there's a lot of all-time great fights that there's no footage of. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not putting that in my list because yeah. I can't go buy a newspaper article saying, oh, this happened, that happened. No, I got to actually see it for myself. And how, how did you go about trying to put yourself in the place of fights that happened before you were even born? Or you know, No, I, I, I can't do that. I can only look at the action. The oldest fight, I believe, and it's in our first... It, Believe it's in, it's in the first list you published is Kid Chocolate versus Tony Canzaneri. And Kid Chocolate was the first great Cuban fighter. And Tony Canzaneri is one of the greatest Italian-American fighters of all time. These guys came to fight. And you look at the footage, this is a 15-round war. And I'm looking at this fight, I'm like, damn. They don't fight like this today. I would have, I would have, <laughs> oh man, I see a fight like, if a fight like that happened today, Twitter, everybody would be talking about this for week, for for months. That's all I could do when I look at an old fight like Sugar Ray Robinson versus Jake LaMotta, the sixth the, the six fight, or Benny Kid Perrette versus Emil Griffith, the fight in which Perrette was murdered, was killed. That was a great fight, marred by. A referee's bad decision. All right, so I will um, we'll, we'll let you go here, but uh, I just want to say that if you go to fightgamemedia.com and you click on the boxing uh, drop-down, you will see the uh, the list, the, the link to the page of the greatest uh, fights of all time, and, and the list uh, will link to all the pieces there. Also, and this is a little bit more of a, a project for me because you've written so many pieces uh, in the past. I'm going to take all of your greatest uh, greatest boxers of all time lists, create a second page so it will be in that drop down as well for those lists. So that that's kind of on, on my list of things to do over the next couple of weeks. But you'll uh, you know you, if you want to read anything from Robert, you'll be 
you'll be able to find, you know, everything there as well. And, you know, uh, when he, when Robert has time, uh, I think it's going to be pretty interesting the, you know, with news that uh, Top Rank is going to try to run uh, pretty soon next month. And so there'll be stuff to talk about. And, and, you know, if Robert wants to write anything, it doesn't have to be historical if it's news or if it's just personal opinions on certain fights. I'm publishing it. So, you know, that's that's and, 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 and now we're doing the feather. I'm doing the featherweights. And um, you 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 just published number four number number four. I mean, real quickly, I want to talk about these two guys because okay. these are these are two fighters that are never talked about. George Dixon, my fifth greatest featherweight of all time, was the first black star, black athletic star, black sports star in the world. He's from he's from Halifax, Nova Scotia, African Canadian. The first world champions in the 1890s. You know the only black athletes in the 1890s besides himself because they didn't allow it in baseball and basketball and the NFL wasn't even around yet, right? With jockeys. Jockeys oh, were the wow. only jockeys were the only black athletes in the 1890s until George Dixon becomes the bantamweight champion of the world, then the featherweight champion of the world. Great fighter, great fighter. And then Eusebio Pedroza held the world, the, the WBA featherweight championship for seven years. For seven years. And he fought everybody except one person, which happens all the time. He was a WBA champion. The WBC champion was Salvador Sanchez. Maybe that fight happens if Sanchez doesn't die tragically in 1982. We'll never know. But Pedroza, I wrote those articles. I hope you guys take a look at it. These are two great fighters. Never got their due. And Pedroza fought at a time where there was one Panamanian god. He was from Panama. Duran was the god, and everybody else were his servants. <laughs> and, uh, and and the, the Pedroza articles got Mike Sempervivi all going into a rabbit hole. You guys had, were having a conversation about that. <laughs> yeah, because everybody, everybody, uh, Pedroza was like Bernard Hopkins, where he was skilled at the art of of dirty blows without the referee seeing it. <laughs> Check out his fight with Juan Laporte. He hit him with elbows. He might as well have brought a baseball bat in the ring. The referees is letting him get away with murder. <laughs> All right. So by the uh, the 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 third post uh, of the featherweights will be out soon. Oh, uh, that that is the best article I feel I have written. I love that article because I compare a boxing icon to a hip-hop icon. And when I was writing this shit, I, I felt like I was that hip-hop icon with these lyrics just coming out the bed. <laughs> Go, going off the dome. <laughs> so what, what you said, the ski mask way. <laughs> the ski mask way. There you go. <laughs> All right, so uh, I want to thank uh, Robert, uh, and uh, you you will you will hear more from Robert down the line. But check out his stuff on Fight Game Media. That's the stuff you know when I when I edit it, I take my time editing that stuff because I don't know a lot about it, and so I, I love reading about it. I love learning. I love reading about the history stuff. So check it out. You want to get your history on from boxing? Check out Robert's stuff. Robert, thank you for hanging out with us. Hey, real quick, I want to commend you on the job you've done on that website. I mean, it it beautiful. I love the way you 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 are, and uh, you're going to do more improvements. But it looks great so far, big man. 
let's kick it into gear for our we want flare segment now this is going to be about the uh post uh so actually we'll talk about the, the bash of the beach we'll talk about a little bit uh, after the bash of the beach and then we will uh set up the clash of the champions which we will talk about the next time so july 17th 1994 is the the match now it's actually re-watching that match like i remembered just about everything shaquille o'neal coming out and being the what was he he was going to hand the belt to the winner and then um mr t and jimmy hart are also involved i forgot about this is something that i i doubt anyone remembered the michael buffer wacky announcement <laughs> of the 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 anniversary of the moon landing <laughs> Yeah. What sure. the hell was that? Dude, Michael Buffer's whole run as a wrestling ring announcer was just wacky. So I I don't know. Michael Buffer is he's out there. Remember Brett Clark of all things? Oh yeah, that's the yeah. famous one. Yeah. Um, so re-watching this match, I will say that I remember watching that match and it was it was a uh one of those moments where you're watching wrestling and going like, okay. I, I don't know if I ever thought I would see this. I just never thought I would see it in a WCW ring with Hogan leaving WWF and then going to WCW because the, you know, everything we were told from the NWA WCW fan base of that time is that the WCW fan base, the NWA fan base was much more interested in the workers they were, you know, they liked a faster style. They liked a, a more a, a more of a worker style. Yet, I'm watching this match, and they're going nuts for everything that Hogan and Flair are doing. Like, they're having the most textbook Ric Flair-Hulk Hogan match. I, I, I still think Rick does too much. Rick gives Hogan more than he needs to, to, to have this match. He's, like, doing so much for Hogan, and Hogan's overcoming everything everything um this is this is hogan at at his peak powers right he wants to make sure he goes through every obstacle but the fans I, the fans are going so crazy that i almost feel i almost was wondering is the crowd sweetened on this this version on the wwe network that i'm watching because i didn't remember them being so nuts for this match no they're hot man and i and just just i mean i actually watched the the clash match today and they're hot for that too so just it was a hot crowd it was uh it was it was really good you know it was all the hogan and flair hits but it, so it was well it was the greatest hits match that's exactly what it was but they they were they, they work so hard though too and that's flair style man I mean, flair giving too much has always been his style he loves bumping around for everyone you know and 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 that's his that's his heat man he bumps against his ass and then he cheats and does you know does something dirty now he's on top and now he's gonna lock the figure four and the guy's gonna reverse it he's gonna get slammed on the top yeah you know we see you know the routine but uh but for some and a lot of people would make fun of rick flair about his quote-unquote routine but like it always worked you know for a very long time and, and um and so yeah, it was great. I think this is a really good match. And I, after watching the class match, and, I, and and also I'm probably gonna sometime next week watch the Halloween Havoc match. It's a pretty good little trilogy of Hogan Flair matches. Probably the best day of of their careers together, right? I'm 
I mean, it'll be, when, I, when I watch the class, uh, Halloween Havoc match, I'll, I'll definitely have an official on that. But I, I mean, watching these first two in this, you know, it's been really, really good, good stuff. So we'll save the discussion of the Clash match because the finish of that match and the way that they do the finish mm-hmm. is has been a, a big thing with Rick. Rick is in his book wrote about it how the original idea was to trade the title and to come back and and have Hogan win win it so they could sell that pay per view. And you know Hogan pulled his creative control card. And and they changed the idea. We'll talk about that a little bit more in detail on the next time we do this. But I have a quote for you that is so funny to me, and I almost feel like it's not real. But, you know, I will let you be the judge of that. So in Ric Flair's book, he says, the morning after I defeated Vader, so he's talking about Starcade 93, my phone rang. It was Hulk Hogan. He was busy taking his kid to school, but he had one thing to tell me. You made me cry last night, you old bastard. Did that happen, or is that Rick making stuff up to set up him calling Hogan and trying to get Hogan in WCW? Sounds made up. It doesn't it? It sounds so made up. I think Hogan's a little too busy to call watching <laughs> WCW pay-per-views. <laughs> unless, unless... Unless they've been negotiating or talk, at least someone reached out in late '93, and Hogan maybe just wanted to check out what WSW was offering. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to send that quote to Big Dave and ask him and, and get an official it's, response. It sounds like a little just a made up quote to kind of continue the story going forward in the next chapter of when Hogan arrives. Okay, so last week we talked about how um, the interview with Big Dave. He said, you know, I asked him, you know, who 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 is who who gets the credit for for bringing Hogan in? And he said Bischoff probably in the end gets the credit he he he's the one who made the decision and he had the idea in 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 rick's book rick says that it was both him and bischoff and that he was the one that went to bischoff to say you know why don't we do this because you know the the uh, uh, we we can do this i have an idea i i will lose you know let's bring him in and so um rick rick definitely says that he would that that he was a big part of this and and i I kind of believe that you know i don't know if he was he was a bigger part of it than bischoff but i definitely believe that part also in his book like i said he said that they would trade wins and then hogan would win the third match at halloween havoc and that was the idea even after bash at the beach but hogan decided that he was not going to lose now if you think about this, and, and again, we'll talk about the Clash match net, net, next time. Um, we'll go deeper into that match. Hogan is only signed for, I think it's ultimately like half the year. I think he's just signed until the end of 94. <clears throat> so he is trying to make that next contract. If he has creative control... He knows that this is not his home. If they put the belt back on Rick and they have some problems with his next contract, maybe he doesn't get that win at Halloween Havoc. So that I don't know that's what he's thinking, but I'm wondering that's what he's thinking. But the flip side of that argument is WCW, if they cannot keep Hogan for this match or for 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 the future 
they may be gone anyway. The, the, the only thing keeping them together, and we've talked about this, is basically Ted Turner, right? Ted Turner's like, I, I cannot get rid of these guys. Like, they, they were a big part of, of TBS and everything. So I want, I want wrestling on my station. And so, like, that's the flip side, is that Hogan himself may not have to worry about that because he is really their meal ticket. And it's so my, my thought after looking at it from both ways is Hogan just knows from a bargaining standpoint, if he has the belt, he has more power. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why he did not want to give up. He, he did not want flair to win that second match. Yeah. I, I also don't think it's a good idea to flip the title like that too. I think that's, I don't think Flair needed to regain the title to lose it again. So I'll tell um, you what Rick's argument was, was how do you sell the pay-per-view? If you've already seen me lose uh, the title mm-hmm. and then I didn't get it back, what is the reason to have the third match? Because of the the injury angle and all that stuff they did. Well, well, that, that that's what they had to do, plus the uh, the stip, right? That That's what, that's yeah. what Rick had to do. So in a sense, in order to sell that, match rick had to create the stip mm-hmm. you know uh, and, and so he was thinking like man if i you know if we would have just did the title switch i don't have to do this but you know so so there there's thought there as far as uh, as rick maybe getting out uh out fight gamed by the hulkster there i'm i'm okay with the stip and i think because I think actually with, with Hogan being there and Flair being there at the same time, I think it's okay for Flair to disappear, you know, for a while and create a scenario where he gets to come back, you know, make, make people miss him again and make it fresh again when he does come back. So I'm okay with what they did, you know, with this, with this program. I actually don't, I don't actually, I really like it. I really like what I think, I think Hogan uh, was right here and I think they did something to cause interest to continue the program. You know, they had that mystery guy and all that kind of stuff we'll talk about. And, um, but you know, post Ric Flair, I think in, in, in the Ric Flair might've been smart enough to know, like, what do you have after me? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and true. they only had one card and that was Vader, but they weren't going to that. So, um, you know, there wasn't much for, you know, so Flair was in a good position, even though he's going to be off TV for a while. Like when he comes back, he's going to be interesting, but we can, I mean, we might even talk about that, how they brought him back to you, which is embarrassing, but <laughs> they screwed that up. But So, uh, so yeah, so the match is really solid. The one thing I, I thought watching it was Shaq daddy. Can you, can you get a little excited as you're watching mm-hmm. this match? Mm-hmm. Like Shaquille, you're just sitting there being a little bit too cool for school. Um, the uh, the other part of it is uh, Sherry gets involved so much in the end. Oh, it's yeah. a little bit of an overkill for her to get involved, but the flip side of that is she's so good that um, you know she's such a good performer that you like seeing her. But I just thought it was one too many times. A little much, but you know Hogan loves using her. Right? He's, yeah. he's loved using her when he easy was. heat. Easy heat, easy pop to give her the big atomic drop or big clothesline, even though she was out of position for that clothesline. <laughs> that that second, you know, that double clothesline spot, she was out of position. He had to go in the kind of like all the way around and hit her with his wrists. Just, you know, kind of flubbed it up. But God, they were, that crowd was so hot for them. They can screw up something and they didn't really care. It was just such a wild night. And I think this is, it was so nice. I remember being like, thinking like, wow, man, this looks really good on pay-per-view. Like the crowd looked great. It's all lit up. A bunch of people were there. Um, 
definitely the best at that time that WC ever, ever looked, in my opinion. So the uh, Hogan is going to win with his boot and with his leg drop, as always. That's how he vanquishes his opponents. What did you think of the part where Flair, the master of the figure four, uh got it on but then hogan puts the figure four on flair you mm-hmm. know dusty would do that too this is yeah. not just everyone did that thing too. you know uh, every baby face if, if you want to get if you if you want to do that like the crowd pops for that every time it, it was just i i was just thinking like okay you know you gave hogan so many things it's like what you know what what card was left to play they, they played every card for that match to get hogan over it worked. the 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 buy rate w- was really good. It was over a one, which means that you know they could they they didn't lose money on on the match. They were actually able to afford Hogan and his three hundred thousand dollars per match uh, guarantee. Uh, and and you know the the, the it, it just showed that uh, the fan base was there. That they weren't there at the clash the 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 time before as far as the rating was concerned, but they would be there for that pay-per-view and they would be there for the the clash after that so the 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 wcw crowd which we've always been told was less about these 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 big superstars and more about the wrestling they definitely showed up for hulk hogan i think they they probably drew a lot he probably brought a lot of newer fans to their product with hogan obviously i think a lot of those maybe fans that only watch the wwf start checking out wcw now because of him so i think he's definitely a smart play obviously from bischoff and flair too i think i think flair definitely should get some credit too for bringing in hogan getting him over flair works so hard not only the match but on the promos of this in this program so the only thing coming out of the show that is really worth getting into is um hogan understands his power obviously he's the master and soon, the friends are coming. Mm-hmm. Hacksaw Jim Duggan starts. Honky is coming. And so, uh, you know, you can sort of see w- what what is the lay of the land very quickly. Uh, but we'll talk more about that. And we'll talk about the clash. We'll talk about between the clash and Halloween Havoc. And then we'll talk about Halloween Havoc on the next uh, either episode or episodes segments of, of uh, We Want Flair. But I think this is a good place to stop because um, we want to save some of the good stuff because there, there's lots of interesting things that are happening. Uh, and the, the Clash, uh, just to, you know, we've talked a little bit about it, but just to uh, kind of put a little bit of a bullseye on what we're going to talk about, The Clash with Hogan and Flair, which there is a wonder about what kind of rating they're going to be able to do, um, it becomes the highest viewed match on cable television in the history up to 1994 when it's all said and done. All right, I want to say thank you to BJ Cruz, also Robert Silva, and of course, uh, for John, I am Double G. We will see you when we see you. Peace out.